0: Are you in search for the perfect health insurance? Well, look no farther because they are the ultimate platform that revolutionizes the way that you find, enroll, and manage your health coverage. HealthBird offers an innovative solution that is tailored just for you. They have a lightning fast search engine that you can effortlessly compare health insurance quotes in milliseconds. There's no more tedious hours of browsing endless websites or spending hours on the phone with insurance agents. They offer a user-friendly app available on iOS and Android, which puts the power of managing your health insurance right at your fingertips. So again, you know, don't let the complexity of health insurance overwhelm you. Join HealthBird community and experience a seamless intuitive platform that puts you in control. So get a quote today at healthbird.com forward slash dealmakers. Alrighty, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a very exciting founder, a founder that has done it, you know, been there, done it, scaled, financed, exited, you know, one of his companies for half a billion dollars. So again, you know, super exciting stuff. Without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Henry Asili. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Alejandro. So originally born in Beirut. So obviously, you know, born in such a beautiful country, but I'm sure that, you know, growing up there and 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 there's just like so much you know going on war you know you name it you know you had to move out with a family uh to london paris so how was life growing up it was uh life a bit of a nomad it was
1: in retrospect very uh fulfilling actually because uh you end up meeting a very different people you end up uh, learning about all the uh, different ways of thinking and for example there's one story that i that i like to tell is uh, mathematics uh when i was in school in in paris uh, there was a i was in 11th grade or so and there was a there was a, a, a problem that we need to solve and i solved it in about 30 seconds with classical geometry And the professor later on went on and uh, solved it with uh, analytical geometry, so equations. And it took him about 20 minutes of solving it with the equations. And then I came up to him and I said, "Uh, but this thing is trivial. I mean, you can say it's a square with, uh, with classical geometry in 30 seconds. That's how it does. And he says, well, here we don't teach classical geometry. And then I was like, wait a second, I could look at problems from multiple fa- facets and I could have m- multiple tools in my toolbox and not, I don't need to use one tool. I can use many tools to solve problems. And what I should do is be a generalist in life and not be a specialist.
0: So then I guess, uh, you know, tell us about to, you know, moving from one place to the next uh, you know, because obviously it sounds like there's been a lot of moving you know, in your life, you know, and I think that, you know, perhaps, you know, that started growing up, you know, getting the exposure to different places, right? I mean, you ended up moving to Philadelphia, you know, out of, out of all places, right? I mean, it's it's not that uh, close by to where you were, you know, in, in Paris or London. So how do you end up in Philadelphia?
1: Uh, we had family friends. Um, there was a family friend who was a surgeon up in uh, at UPenn and uh, that's how we learned about ufn and uh, we really liked it and my brother went there and then i followed him yeah i don't have a problem going
0: places i love that you know just uh, it gives you i guess uh, a different perspective and, and math and economics where where does that come from that love for for numbers
1: well i i wanted to do econometrics because i liked the the idea of being able to predict things and to plan for things but uh it, it, it didn't pan out that way. When I went and I started uh, studying econometrics and taking classes in econometrics, I realized that most of it was just decide what kind of data input you want, and that will give you a data output, and you can massage anything with anything. So it's just not worth it. So uh, I realized that it was not very interesting. And so I moved to, uh, to mathematics, which I've always enjoyed.
0: And the first area where you uh you know got a step a step at it you know really applying you know the lessons you know learned there was building a cement factory i mean that's that sounds quite uh, unique why why a cement factory
1: well in the the family is involved in uh in heavy industries in Lebanon including cement and so um in talking to the um german engineering co- company that that works with us back in lebanon uh i was like hey it's it's be very interesting for me to uh, get some exposure in the practical aspects of of technology i've always liked practicality i've always you know like doing things with my hands and I didn't want to do anything theoretical. I didn't want to go and study engineering or things like that. But I thought, hey, let's go see what can be done on the ground. And so I went to former East Germany in a place called Bernburg in Sachsen-Anhalt. Uh, that was back in 92, where it just reunited. They still had the old cars with the two-cylinder and three-cylinder engines, and, and everything was gray. And um it, it was extremely interesting because as a you know so 22 21 22 year old who was a university university student working with the guys there who most of them did not have much of a formal education but they had a lot of practical education and they knew all sorts of things and be, being there and getting the information like we would get uh schematics and 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 uh, uh uh all the all, all the machinery and all the pieces, spare parts, etc., from from the uh, the office in West Germany, and that we had to go and build them up in 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 East Germany, in that well, former East Germany, in that in that cement factory. But you always had problems. I mean, nothing was perfect, and and uh, the plans, the schematics were never one hundred percent. So you had to fix them. You had to go and and figure out every day you had problems, and you had to solve those problems. You had to figure out how to make it work, and. It, it was it was incredible because one time, for example, there was a there was this this uh, massive uh, machine that stopped working. I won't get into the details, but I was uh, because because somebody made a mistake and there was too much material in it, and then it just stopped working. And I was trying to figure out how to make it work again. And one of my coworkers, who had quite a bit more experience than me, said, "You know, round up twenty guys." I'm like, "What?" So yeah, round up twenty guys. I'm like, "Okay." So I round up twenty strong working guys, and I'm like, okay, bring them up to the machine and pull the belt. So we've put ten people on one side, ten people on the other side. We pulled the belt, and all of a sudden, it worked. And then I realized, wait a minute, you know, you don't just need machines. A human body works very, very well as 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 a as as as, as, as a pulling power. And I thought I sh- I must have thought about that and. I'm not thinking enough outside the box, and and that stayed with me. You got to think all the time outside the box. You got to think about all the different things that you've got or that you may have to solve whatever problem you're uh, you're
0: uh, facing. So then, in your case, you know, at this point, you receive, you know, Philadelphia knocking on your door again. You know, and that was to uh, go after your MBA. So. What, what was that thought process behind thinking maybe it's a good you know, time for me now to to go after an MBA?
1: Yeah, it's kind of a cultural thing where we always want to do the MBA because back then, not today, is different. But back then, it was like the MBA is the thing you want to do. So you, you get some yeah. right experience and then you go to your MBA. OK, and it turned out that it was amazing. It was just amazing for me because I was at the right place at the right time. Uh, the web was starting, web 1.0, as we call it, and uh, I had exposure to it right there. It was, we were the first class to get email for business guys, not the engineers, the engineers had had it for a while, but but the business school, it was the first class to get email. We had access to Unix server, uh, which was great because nobody understood how to use the Unix server. I was the only one, so I could do all sorts of things with it. Um, And so I started building my web pages and I learned the the web technologies right there. And we started doing a lot of stuff at Wharton as the MBA and I was doing entrepreneurship. So I was uh, studying entrepreneurship as an MBA and I was looking at all those new technologies and I was thinking, that's what I want to do. I mean, this is huge. This is huge. It's changing everything.
0: That is what I want to do. That's what you ended up doing because, and by the way, I find that, you know, programs like Worton, they're like a great way to um, not only to, 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 to get going on, on building a company, but also because of the network, no? And there you're able to meet people that are, you know, alike, you know, when it comes to, to thinking, drive and ambition. Now, for you, you know, definitely what that was the immediate step for you to really get into it, like uh, really serious. And this is how you got started, you know, too, with this Rate you know obviously That's more it. moving more moving involved because you you you, you wow. landed in in los angeles so how did the idea of this raid you know come you know and and, and what was that process of incubation to launch and and, and, and basically bringing it to life?
1: well as you said it started with the fact that wharton and top mba schools has this uh, this, this 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 one great uh, asset which is a uh, networking uh, you you meet people who are very interesting and uh, I met my co founder farhad mohit who's originally iranian moved from f- moved to the u s uh, right after the iranian revolution and uh, We hit it off uh, very early on, and uh, we did a bunch of things together, and I showed him the web, and we did all sorts of things. And one day, we were sitting, one night, we were sitting at my place and chilling, or his place, I don't even remember, uh, drinking. We used to do quite a bit of that back then, and uh, discussing what we wanted to do, because we both knew we wanted to do something. We both knew we were unemployable. Uh, We thought too much outside the box. We always wanted to improve things. And it was very difficult for, for any company to, to hire us because uh, our job is to uh, disrupt things. I mean, that's just what we want to do all the time. And we were talking about what to do. And we knew we wanted to do something on the internet, as I told you, on the web. And we just sat there and said, okay, what, what can we do? And we realized that uh, shopping was going to be big. And why was shopping going to be big? Because it's very simple. You have a web page. That is infinite in size. You can change it whenever you want. And so, right there and then, we we're like, wait a second, the whole business of uh, catalog shopping is going to go. You, you, don't, you don't need to be a genius to think, to look at the catalog shopping where they used to send you uh, ca- big, thick catalogs with all the prices and the products and the descriptions, and every month they would send you that. And then if you liked something, you called them, and you told them, I want this, this, and this, and you gave them a credit card on the phone, you did whatever, whatever. And so we saw, you don't need paper, you're not going to print anything, the, 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 the inventory is always up to date, and it's infinite. Obviously, the whole catalog business is going to go away, plus everything else. So at a minimum, you've got trillions of dollars or billions and billions of dollars of, of catalog sales that are going to go away. And so we thought, okay, this is great, but we, it's just starting and there's a number of things that need to get done. What we want to do is to help people shop. That was the main idea. And we didn't know that at the time, but this, this vision, which is very broad, is extremely useful. So when you're starting to think about what you want to do, it's very useful to have a very broad vision. Not a detailed product thing, but you say, okay, what environment do I want to operate in? We wanted to operate in shopping, online shopping. We wanted to help people shop. And it turns out for 10 years, that thing did not change. It was a broad enough vision that, that we stayed in this environment. And that's one thing you can kind of really want to do uh, as early as possible in your thought process. What's what's your real vision? And then we start saying, okay, so we want to have people shop. How are we going to do this? And the first thing we did was create a system and from A to Z. We thought it through, et cetera, Of of telling people this business is better than this business or this business is doing very well here, here, and here. So how do we do it? We rate businesses. How do you rate businesses? The best way is to get customers to rate them. How do we get customers to rate them? We go and talk to the businesses and we tell them, please... We want, we're doing this system, put the survey code on your shopping cart at the end of the shopping process. So it comes to us, independent third party, we gather the surveys, then we give you back the data. So we started doing that and it started picking up steam and that's what, that's what we called it, BizRate, business rating, bizrate.com. So we did the ratings before eBay, before anybody. So we had the one to 10 rating, then the five star ratings on all sorts of different um, dimensions, etc. That was, uh, you know, 96, 97. I, I built the tech, uh, we built the tech ourselves. At the time, we wanted to get somebody to build the tech. It turned out that everybody was asking us for 100000 here, 200000 there. We're like, no, no, no. I, I told Farah, I'm going to do it. I know how to do it. We're going to do it. Even if we don't know everything, and that's a very important, if you know that you can do enough that you can get to the next level, do it. Because you don't know what's going to happen afterwards. So get to the next level. If you know you can get to the next level, do it. Because the level after that, you don't know what it's going to be. And by then, you might get your knowledge, your own knowledge to be able to continue. By then, something else might happen. So don't don't try to plan for too far ahead in, in, in startups, especially in early stage startups.
0: Plan for the next stage and probably the stage after, but that's it. Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard and already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C, all the way to the end as an extension of your team and there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. So then in this case, for you guys with this rate, you know, you guys got going there and you had built the tech. So at what point does Shopsila come into the equation?
1: Okay, so... We started building Bizrate in '96-'97. Uh, there was not enough technology available back then to do more than rate the businesses. You could not search for products. Okay, searching for products was was too far. It was you know you needed millions and millions of products. You needed databases. You needed whatever. Back then we just couldn't do it, but uh, 98, we got a first round of funding, uh, four and a half million. It was very tough to fund because uh, uh, nobody wanted to talk to us. Nobody, nobody was interested. 99, a second round of uh, 20 million, and 2000 February third round, 50 million dollars, and we raised that in two weeks. At that point, everybody wanted in on everything, and it's not that our company had had uh, was had so much revenue. In 99, we had like 1 million in revenue. And back then, uh, in, in October 99, we added the product search engine. So comparison, what we call now comparison shopping. But Shopzilla itself, the new brand called Shopzilla, that one came about in 2003, I remember, if I remember correctly. It's when we had started thinking, okay, we went through the insane growth. I mean we're talking uh 98 we were seven people um Feb- may may 98 we were seven people february 2000 or march 2000 we were 247 um we got our our uh, 50 million in fundraising at a post of 750 in 2 weeks we um were creating our s1 to go public we're gonna file it on Monday on Friday. The market turned it was two thousand you know all the all your listeners uh I don't know how many of them were around in two thousand, but it was an absolute massacre. We're talking the nasdaq going from i think what six thousand five hundred or something like this to one thousand and and some uh Companies going from being valued at a share at 100 to value of a share at $0.1. I mean, things like that. So it was insane. And so the market turned, we tightened up, and we went crazy on the revenue. We said, we got to get revenues, we got to keep the cost down, etc. So we started cutting, 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 and increasing revenue started working on the affiliate fees. Then we invented some kind of a, uh, uh, what we call now CPC, which everybody knows, but back then nothing existed. And the reason why was that w- w- at the, the affiliate fees existed. So you could get percentage of the sale. And then as, as uh, we started getting more clout, we went to the merchants and told them, listen, this doesn't work for us. You, I, I should not be dependent on you for my money. In the sense that if you're doing a bad job converting the guy, I should not be paying for it. So what you're gonna do is you're gonna buy the, the, the lead from me, and then it's your problem. So we change from affiliate to cost per click. Instead of taking a percentage of the sale, we're just selling the potential lead to the to the merchant. And then we said that's how you do it. You get the, you get the sale, you get, you get the, the, the the potential uh, lead. We've, uh, we've, we've gotten a really good lead for you. We've qualified the lead. We did very well. Now it's your problem, but you pay me for it. So that's how it turned into the concept of a CPC. And it's then also that we created Shopzilla, where we said, hey, uh, there's, something, there's something there. I mean, it's not just business ratings. It's like the whole thing. It's, it, it's the whole shopping experience. It's the whole marketing. It's everything. So we created the brand Shopzilla.
0: That's amazing. So, then at what point does the acquisition become an option for you guys?
1: Good question. So, 2001, 2000, the whole thing just goes uh, everything dies. We uh, started shrinking and increasing our revenues. And we ended up doing, you know, um, if I remember 2001, we did $10 million. 2002, we turned cash flow positive in December. uh, We did uh, 20 million in revenues and 22 in costs. Uh, But in December, you know, the the revenues went up. And so we turned cash positive. We had four weeks of cash left in the bank. We had 81 employees. So we went from seven to 247 to 81. Uh, And uh, and then we started growing again. And so we went to uh, 40 million in revenues in 2003. Then in 2004, I completely changed the technology of the company. Instead of being an integrator of technologies, we started building our own technology. So we built our own database engines. We built our own search engine specific for shopping. So we we went from uh, indexing 9 million products in 24 hours to continuously indexing 45 million products in half an hour, two hours, whatever it was, continuous indexing of 45 million. And we could have gone up to 200 million products if we wanted to. So it changed our, our life. And, but, but then our growth slowed a little bit because we had to change technology. So we went from 40 to 67 million in revenues. But then the year after that was the explosion. We went to over 150 million in revenues. But remember, this is real revenues. It's not, it's not all the you know, uh, fluffed up stuff that they talk about today. We're talking pure revenues, not, not amount of product that, that went through the system, etc. So 150 million in revenue,
0: 50 million in profits, and that's when we sold the company. I mean, really incredible growth there. So, so selling the company, what was that process like? I mean, at what point do you, were, were you guys like, okay, we gotta really go start an m and process, get an investment banker, and and we gotta do it now. In 2005, beginning
1: 2005, we knew we were on a massive growth trajectory. We also had google trying to do google shopping and other things so everybody a bunch of big guys getting into the space which was a bit dangerous uh but the space was super hot and very interesting at the same time we had been at it for 10 years nine years now you get you get tired after a while you kind of get tired of it i mean i i you know i had gone through it i I was my job i was doing it my eyes closed i mean it's there was nothing challenging anymore uh for most of us it was like this and then the vcs that invested in our company back in 99 98 99 and 2000 at first of course during the crash everybody you know wrote everything off they wrote absolutely everything off but by 2005 the guys were like wait a second this guy is one of our winners one of our huge winners and uh we want to close the funds too so they're getting to a point where they need to close their funds and they had a huge winner in in their hands and so they also wanted to kind of exit so it was kind of it was it was a combination of factors where we ended up saying, you know, yeah, we all like we're, we're okay with exiting. I mean, it's a, it's we're on a huge trajectory. It's everything's positive. Uh, we're gonna make a lot of money. Everybody's gonna be happy. Uh, why not? Let's let's see what we can do. Let's see what the market says. And that's when we engaged uh, a, a, an investment banker, and uh, we got uh, a couple of very big companies uh, uh, discussing the acquisition and uh trying to outbid each other to uh, to acquire shopzilla was it a was it a long process no it can't be a long process no not when when you've got uh interest and you've got your, your investment banker doing a doing the job it took you know the, the the negotiation part maybe three weeks a month max but then you've got the due diligence and all the other stuff that that takes a bit longer years and, and all yeah. that stuff but in the United States, it's it, it's
0: it's fast. Europe is a disaster. The United States is really fast. Absolutely. Now, now, now. In this case, you know, like how how big was the transaction?
1: Five hundred sixty-nine million dollars. There was five hundred twenty-five million plus cash, and so we had a lot of cash. So it was five sixty-nine. We're talking we're talking in uh, in two thousand five. So today it's, it would be well over a billion. Yeah, so it was, it was a good transaction. Everybody was very happy.
0: Everybody. Well, come on, you got you to gotta tell us now what is the first thing that you bought when the money hit the account.
1: I bought only one thing, a Ford GT. A oh, 2005 white and blue-striped Ford GT. Why? That's amazing. Why? Because when I married my wife in 2001, early 2002, she asked me a very interesting question. She said, if you had all the money in the world, what car would you buy? And I found that question very interesting. And I told her a Ford GT40. She said, why don't you buy one? I said, first of all, I don't have five million bucks to spend on a machine that I can't ride. And then it's all metal and crap, and it's just un- undrivable. She said, okay, forgot about it. Then when I sold my company, Ford came out with a Ford GT, which is basically a replica modern with Macintosh sound system, air conditioning, etc., And it was pretty relatively cheap. I mean, it was 150000 $160,000. And so I sold the company. I was like, I got I, I to gotta buy this car because I told my wife, and if I don't buy it, obviously I'm a liar. So I ended up buying it. And it's a great, I
0: still have it. It's the, most, it's the greatest purchase I ever made. It was amazing. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. So, so after you did the transaction, I mean, really, really incredible outcome here. You uh, ended up moving again. You know, that's just in, in, in the nature of you. I'm moving in again. So then you go back to Europe, and then you get involved with a company called Telnik. And I guess that this was your you kind know, like immediate step to uh, to 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 exploring to the other side of the table, more on the VC side. So tell us about this next chapter in your in your life. I went to work with Telnic. I had
1: a friend who was uh, the ma- the main investor in there, and he asked me to come uh, check it out and and help out. And I invested in it, and uh, we did a lot of very innovative work, very interesting, and we raised also quite a bit of money from. N- from not the classic vcs not the 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 not the vcs from the valley because at the time first of all we were in europe in the uk and uh, the uk wasn't what it is today where the vcs are global and they try to find deals everywhere again things have changed dramatically over the past 20 years or 15 years for for, for good for good but back then you know europe was like nah not interesting and so we raised money from all sorts of different places, and w- what I learned there is that timing truly is everything. When I when I tell entrepreneurs, when when entrepreneurs ask me, "So, what's the secret of success? What's the secret?" I said, "Listen, guys, you're not going to like what I'm going to say to you, but 60% of it is luck, not 40, not 50, 60. Hard work and all sorts of other things. It's forty, you know. But communication, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But sixty percent is pure luck. Now you can you can make your own luck. You can say you're lucky. You can find opportunities where others don't find the opportunities for sure. But in the end, there's timing issue. There's a huge timing issue. With Shabzida, I was there at the right place, the right time? It was it was great. Of course, we executed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but that was a, the big, big uh, uh, positive. Then with Telnic, we're at a point where uh, we're trying to do the single point of contact. We were trying to do where the thing where you own your own domain, you own domain name, the dotel domain name, and then with your dotel domain name, you can you don't need to uh, to communicate anything with to, to people uh, other than your dotel then they can say, okay, I want to contact him. So let's say I want to contact Alejandro. How can I contact him? Well, what do you want to do? You want to talk to him in video? You want to send him a message? You want to do whatever. If you want to send a message, you can have email, you can have WhatsApp, you can have this, you can have that if you want to call him. So all of these in one super easy, very easy um, uh, APIs, just the DNS. We were too early. We were too early. In my opinion, we were way too early. First of all, the iPhone hadn't, hadn't been... Uh, released yet? It wasn't ubiquitous yet. So the mobile phone, the the smartphone, wasn't ubiquitous. And second, um, the the VCs were all about Facebook. Everybody was on Facebook, and it's all about Facebook. So you don't need anything else. Okay, I'm on Facebook. So talk to the guy on Facebook. I wasn't. I didn't have Facebook. I deleted Facebook and everything back then already. But uh, most of people were on Facebook. So at, so so, long story short, we were too early wrong timing today everybody talks again about you know your own contact info uh, the web3 the blockchain today everybody says you know get your ens your your ethernet name system thing your own name so that you can validate who you are and the only way to validate who you are is with things like like having your own domain name because you paid for it you know you're there you do etc 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 so today everybody understands what we were trying to do back then Back then, nobody understood it, and it it didn't work out. I mean, it's still around; it still exists, but it, it lost it, it it lost the, the battle.
0: And it's uh, and I think of that the timing, you know, and luck. I think that that's really incredible that, that you're touching on that because I I absolutely agree with you. Now, in your case, one of the things that you realized is that you don't enjoy LPs when it comes to a VC fund structure and raising money from people and reporting and the admin and what 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 got you to turn to, to get so turned off with the whole LP side, you know, when, you know putting together a venture capital firm?
1: So I, I love entrepreneurship and I love entrepreneurs and I love helping them. And I decided the next step would be to help entrepreneurs in every which way I could. And uh, I then realized that there weren't enough uh, there wasn't enough money in the ecosystem, both in the Middle East and in uh, continental Europe to do that. So uh, I ended up getting together with a couple of friends and, and uh, uh, creating uh, Leap Ventures, which was a, 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 fund, a, 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 a VC that had two funds, one in, in Lebanon, uh, 100 million, and then another smaller one for, for seed in continental Europe. So we could do everything for entrepreneurs. We could do the funding, we could do the mentoring, we could do the help, et cetera. All the technical stuff, if necessary, help them on technical aspects, because I'm, I'm still very, very technical as still program, and, I, and I'm trying to stay on top of all technologies. So that's what we did, uh, that's what we did. But then over time, I realized that that uh, being a VC is, you know, uh, 20% working with entrepreneurs and well over 50 percent uh, managing LPs, because then you have to do your next fund, and you can do whatever, and that's how you can do your, make your money, etc. And that's not of interest to me. That really isn't of, of much interest to me. So that's why I realized that, hey, you know, I love helping entrepreneurs and working with entrepreneurs, so I'm just going to do that. And so that's, why, that's when I moved away from, uh, from, from being a V.C.. To uh, working directly with uh, with companies, small and large, helping helping entrepreneurs at every level, doing you know working with them on the on the management, working with them on technology, being temporary CTO for companies for for a while to uh, to to bring up their tech teams, uh, doing doing major scalability work for very very large uh, uh, multinationals in Europe. You know, anything that gets my mind working, my brain working. Because as you, as you age, the, the one thing you want to do is to constantly bombard your brain and your mind with, with new challenges constantly. You, you should not feel comfortable. If you feel comfortable, you're going to decline. And that's what I try to
0: do. I love that. So obviously now you know you get to um, not deal with ELPs. You get to continue to invest in companies. You get to also get involved doing the technical, you know, getting your your hands you know dirty, and, uh, and getting that stimulation, you know, at an intellect uh, level. Uh, and uh, and I guess you know there's probably a lot of people that you know right now are are listening and are wondering, hey, you know, like I would love to reach out to Henry, you know, and and say hi to Henry. What is the best way for these people to reach out and, and do so?
1: I still have henry.tel, H N R itel I think, uh, it's, let me check it, but I think it's still around and uh, it's got all my information in there. Or uh, just send me uh, send me an email. Yeah,
0: you've got, well, I need to update it, but send me an email. Uh, you can find me online. All right, amazing. So, so one last thing that I want to ask you, Henry, is, if I was to bring you back in time, right there to Wharton, that's what sparked your entrepreneurial, you know, uh, excitement. And let's say I put, you, I put you there, right, in, in that classroom. And, and I give you the opportunity of whispering to your younger self one piece of advice for launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? Go for it. And don't expect things
1: from anybody in the sense that don't try for partnerships, don't expect other entities to work with you. You can and you must impact your environment. You will impact your environment. At some point you'll realize that everybody around you and all the businesses being run around you are as clueless as you are and it's up to you, not up to you, but you can and you should yourself transform the environment you're in for the better for yourself. I love that,
0: Henry. that's very profound so again, I just want to you know thank you for taking the time here with us Henry. It has been an absolute honor to have you on the dealmaker show. Thank you so so much.